passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops. Hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. All right, it is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane. Austin Mendez handling things for us behind the scenes. We appreciate you. And we have been gone for a minute. We took the Thanksgiving week off, so it has been a while since we met. But we are coming to you now fresh off the Rockets back-to-back. Is this the first back-to-back that they've played? No, they did it in California. In California, yeah. Yeah, so... But this this most recent one, you've got the loss to the Denver Nuggets and then the night before that, the loss to the Dallas Mavericks, which eliminated them from uh, from the in-season tournament. Are we calling it the NBA Cup? What are we calling it, Adam? In-season in tournament? They NBA want to call Cup. it in-season tournament, so we got we got to call it what they want to call it. All right, so ending the in-season tournament, the loss to the Mavs, a clo- much closer game that was than this one. Uh they lose to the Denver Nuggets 134 to 124. And the score didn't really actually feel that close from the game. From from watching the game, they got down by a lot early in the first quarter. And that's pretty much when this game felt like, or at least in the first half, felt like it was decided. Jalen Green had a hell of a third quarter. 19 points in the third quarter kind of really came alive. But, of course, as we know, there was no Fred Van Vliet in this game, and there was a lot on Jalen Green in terms of uh, responsibility and playmaking, and it kind of came together in the third quarter, but it was too little too late. Adam, let me hear from you, man. What are your impressions of the Rockets and losing these back-to-backs, and what is this now, five of the last seven that they've lost now or something something to that effect? I know they had that, that little stretch there where they won a couple, but – uh, but it's been a while since we talked. What do you what do you make of the most recent version of the Rockets that you're seeing? Well, they can't win on the road, which I guess that's not a huge surprise with a young team. Uh, but at least they had been competitive up until tonight. Um, tonight was just bad. Um, defensively, that's probably the worst that they've played all year, at least in the first half. Um, they just weren't competitive on that end of the floor. Um, they let Denver do whatever Denver wanted to do. And especially when Jokic was on the floor, Jokic was on the floor for 18 minutes in the first half of that game. And Denver had a 193.9 offensive rating in those minutes. So basically they were scoring two points of possession uh, whenever they came down when Jokic was on the floor. When Jokic was off the floor, the Rockets defense was much better, but they had no answers for anything that Jokic did. When they actually did force misses, the Nuggets were getting in, and Jokic in particular 
was getting the offensive rebound and they were getting put back. So um, it's hard to talk too much about some of the offensive stuff that I'm sure we'll get to at some point uh, from this game, just because the defense was so bad And it's not a a huge surprise. It's a bit of a schedule loss. You're playing a back-to-back in altitude. Um, That's not easy to do. Uh, Playing in, playing in Denver on a back-to-back is probably one of the more unfair things the schedule makers can do just because of the toll that it takes. And, um, players will always tell you that like the first six minutes in Denver, that's where the altitude really gets you. And they were just awful for those first six minutes. So maybe, I mean, if you want to make an excuse, maybe you can there. Uh, but just overall, the defense was awful in this game and it's kind of taken, they were, they were, they led the league in uh, defensive rating. I think it was after the, uh, the game on Friday against Minnesota and they've taken a couple steps back uh, in the two games since. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yeah, the thing that stood out to me was really the first quarter, how, like you mentioned, Denver was able to get whatever they wanted. You mentioned Nikola Jokic. I mean, that's to be expected. But also early on in the game, it felt like Michael Porter Jr., who's a really good player, as we know, he also was able to kind of do whatever he wanted. And they also had no answer for, and this surprised me a little bit, that they just weren't a little more attentive to how much, and especially give, considering that this was the third time playing the Nuggets, how much those guys cut to the basket. And so that that part of it was just like, okay, they should know to defend this. Maybe we are talking about being a little lethargic or having some issues dealing with the altitude. I'm not sure. They'll be back up there pretty soon to play their what seems like their 15th game against the Nuggets, but will be their fourth and final game of the season against them. But what did you make of the third quarter that Jalen Green had? Because I know going into this game, one of the big thoughts was that it'd be a big game for him because of the absence of Fred Van Bleet. And it really just seems like it seems like the Rockets are on somewhat of a Jalen Green roller coaster. You had the game, you know, a week or so ago, whenever it was when they you know, when they bench him in the fourth quarter and then he comes back and has the excellent game and he has an excellent stretch there. But it still feels like it's touch and go. I thought that this game on Wednesday night was the epitome of that, of how he's got five points on five shots going into halftime. And then he explodes for this big third quarter and shows you, like, exactly the reason why a lot of people, you know, the reason why he was drafted number two overall and why a lot of people thought he'd be the face of the franchise and kind of the leader there. What do you make? I mean, it, I get, it almost feels like we're beating a dead horse here about the the roller coaster with Jalen Green because that's what it's been for three seasons. But 
what stood out to you about or what would you say was different about him and his aggression in the third quarter versus what we saw early on in that game? Well, he was aggressive in the third quarter. And you you mentioned the five points. He only took five shots in the first half. You need to see him shoot more, especially when he's on the floor and Shingun is off the floor. And that's where he really has to make his money or in those minutes because Shingun right now is going to be the number one option. He is going – it doesn't matter if Van Vliet is on the floor. It doesn't matter if Van, Van Vliet is off the floor. Shingun is going to be the number one option. So when Green is out there and you don't have Shingun, that's where Green – has to take over games, and he did that in the third quarter, and he played with force. And there should never be a reason for Jalen Green to not play with force. He's just too athletic, and he can do too many things at a high level. And far too often, you'll see him be tentative. You'll see him be unsure of himself. But in that third quarter, it was the opposite. In that third quarter, he knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he went out and you know, I've said the word aggressive now multiple times, but that's what he was. And he looked for his shot. He looked to get his teammates involved. You know, in the first half, he, he had the four assists in the first half, but it didn't feel like he put like a stamp on the game. And if you're going to be uh, like, part, I, I think part of this season is trying to figure out with him and with Shingun, especially because those are the guys that are, that'll be eligible for extensions over the summer. But you need to figure out if these are guys or if these are pieces. And a guy puts himself, puts his stamp on the game every single night, and you always know he's on the floor. Like right now, Shingun is a guy because you always know he's on the floor. Green right now, it feels like he's more of a piece because there are far too many times where it just feels like where you don't even notice that he's out there. And for a guy to have that sort of skill level and that sort of raw athleticism, we should never feel that way. You should always feel Jalen Green on the floor. And it's that that I think as we get through how many games they, they played 16 games. So we've got 66 to go over the last 66 games of the year. That's where Jalen Green, there needs to be a consistency with what he does. And he has to be out there and he has to make sure that everybody feels him out there. Because, again, you cannot stay in front of him. It should be very difficult to stay in front of him because not just that first step, but the second and third step, which is what we heard about after he got drafted. And so if he can play downhill and if he can play with force, then he's going to be he's very difficult to stop. And I, I guess the one thing that you notice, too, about him, um, he didn't take a free throw in the first half. He took six in the second half. I think that to me is going to be the big number that you look at with him because there are going to be nights where the shot isn't there. There's going to be nights where maybe he doesn't score. But if he's getting to the free throw line, that's when you know he's playing with aggression. He played with no aggression in the first half, didn't take a free throw. He played with a lot of aggression in the second half. He took six free throws. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think through this one, Adam. Like, I, I'm super critical about the aggression. I'm trying to figure out, okay, where was that third quarter Jalen Green in the first quarter, in the second quarter? And part of me wants to give him the excuse of, Fred Van Vliet's not in the game. Of course, you know, Aaron Holiday starts for Fred Van Vliet, but maybe maybe it's that Jalen Green felt like it would be more on him to facilitate or to defer or to help the offense flow, get within some type of actual flow. But to your point, and I think to the point that a lot of us have been trying to make about Jalen Green, he should be... And in, if not the engine, certainly an engine and not a bystander to whatever is going on, not just like to your point about a piece versus a guy. 
Like he should never just feel like a piece. And, and that's the way it's felt so often to, to the point where when he does have moments like that third quarter, when he does have those breakout moments where he is like th- that Lakers game, a, lo- a lot of exa- a lot of examples that he's had throughout the season where you're like, oh, there's Jalen Green looking like that guy. You know, the frustrating part about that is the cons- the inconsistency of it. The fact that you don't see it enough and that you know that it's there. And it's just a it's just a really, really odd thing because it feels like he's been empowered. He's got a he's got a coach that holds all of them accountable, but also one that seems like he encourages the dog in him, encourages the aggression in him. And so it is it is odd to me that in a game where, you know, Fred Van Bleet, not only is he not there to to not be the point guard, but he's also not there to take 10 shots or whatever, however many shots it is that Fred Van Vliet takes a game. He's not taking those shots. I heard Calvin Murphy talking about this on the post game right before you and I started talking. Like if a guy, if a teammate that took 10 to 12 shots was missing, he was looking to make up for those 10 to 12 shots in the game back, you know, way back in the gap when Calvin played. And that's because he was a guy, you know, Calvin was a guy. And so that, you know, Jalen Green is supposed to be along those same lines looking to, hey, man, force the issue. Make them make them have to deal with you the same way your team had to deal with Nikola Jokic. They didn't have an answer for Nikola Jokic. There was nobody out there that could guard him. Michael, even Michael Porter Jr. in the beginning of the game, there was nobody out there that could guard him. Force the issue in that sort of way. I mean, I get playing within the rhythm of the offense or trying to keep some sort of semblance of the rhythm of the offense but you should be an engine of the offense, you know, you along with Alperin Shingun. So, I mean, that's that's the roller coaster, though, trying to reconcile what you saw in the third quarter and what you've seen otherwise. They had a film session. It was after the, the Warriors game where um, where he was benched in the fourth quarter, and he was bad in that game. Uh, he and Yudoka had a film session basically on the plane. And the thing that Yudoka was stressing with him was – all the times that he was passing up shots, like all the times that teams were going under on screens against him and he just wouldn't take the shot. That's and what happened the next game against Memphis. He started shooting. He started out shooting poorly against Memphis. I think he started out one of eight or something like that, but he kept on shooting. He kept being aggressive and eventually the shots started to fall. That's the type of mode that he needs to be in. And guess what? Van Vliet and Shingun played in that game. And he kept on shooting. He kept on being aggressive. That's what he has to do. And I think that's the mode that that's kind of just the mindset that they're trying to get him into and keep him in is just like, Hey, we think you're a guy. Don't be shy. Like go shoot the ball. Like we want to play fast. There are going to be plenty of shots for everybody else. But if you're open, take the shot. If they go under on you, you're a good enough shooter to where we want you to take that shot. If you have a lane to the rim, take the lane to the rim. Draw some contact. Obviously, you got to get a little bit better finishing, but you know that's that's a whole other thing. But you can draw contact. You can get to the free throw line if anything. So there's there, there's just so much ability there. It's just about getting it to come out on a consistent basis. And he's twenty. Like this is like a young player thing too. I mean, I know he's been in the league three years, but he's still just twenty one, and you're still trying to figure things out. But at some point they need him to come through on a nightly basis. They need that consistency. Like like last night's game, the the game in Dallas, he was invisible for a good portion of that game. 
Yeah. And you have, you know, Dallas has these two stars with Irving and with Doncic, and those guys are just carrying that team in crunch time. And the Rockets didn't really have, aside from Shingun, and asking Shingun to do that, it's tough because you're you're basically trading twos for threes a lot of times. That's that's not an easy way to go about things. That's where you need the guard to actually step up and you need the guard to make things happen. So I, I think that this is – you're going to learn a lot, I think, about Jalen Green over these last 66 games of the year because, like, it's there. It's in him. He can do that. But can he do it day in, day out? Yeah. One thing that I thought would be a loss for, for the Rockets or for Rockets fans is that – if, you know, you get through the season and we're still early on, but if you're looking up and feeling like Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are seeming more like dudes than Jalen Green or Alperen Shingo, like to me, both of those two young players, especially like given where they are in terms of what the Rockets are trying to build, but also like individually, like as we've talked about before, what they're trying to do with getting extensions and all of that, like they should be in a position where they're motivated enough and just actually put in a position to have the ball in their hands to be the guys. And so I, I thought that if Fred Van Vliet's out there looking like, the, if he's out there being the closer and Dylan Brooks is out there looking like really the alpha on the team, that's not really like that's It's cool to have veteran presence and leadership added to the team, some quality veteran leadership and presence added to the team, obviously. But if they're looking like more of the dude than Jalen Green or Alperin Shingoon, and it hasn't been the case with Alperin, but it has been with Jalen, it's just, it, it it's not good. And I look, you talk about the, the Mavericks game. I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to mention the same thing. Like, even in that game, it it felt like, you know, he's going up against Kyrie Irving, who I know he looks up to a lot. But it just, it, it felt like he was taking the back seat. And I did wonder in this game, just watching it in this Denver game, if there's like, you know, what's the, is there a confidence issue when you don't play as well the night, just the night before you didn't play as well or up to your expectation and you didn't do it against you know, somebody like Kyrie who you look up to, and obviously Luka Doncic went, went off for 40 on him. Like, it's just, like, I, I I wonder how, like, where is Jalen Green's mindset at? And I can't, I'm not trying to get into his head, and I know I can't get into his head. I, I just truly wonder, how do you view yourself? How does Jalen, because I, I, I swear, this guy's been the most confident guy that you could find ever since he got here and, and does not seem like he leaks confidence, okay? But then goes out there on the basketball floor, and I'm like, hey, where's all of that confidence and ability that I thought was in there, you know, whenever he's playing timid? So it's it's just a weird thing to reconcile what, what you think he is and what he's kind of been purported to be versus what he goes out there and actually is on the basketball court until randomly the third quarter hits of this game and there he is being that guy. So it's a that's why I, that's why I called it a roller coaster in the rundown, Adam, because it, it really is like an up and down experience with this guy. The problem is he does it when it's a 17 point game. Like you want to see him, you know, the defense he's you know, let's be honest, Denver is not exactly coming out with a whole lot of fire. In right. the second half 
that game when they're up 17. So they took their foot off the gas a little bit, and that's when Jalen Green pounced. You need to see him do it at the beginning of the game when they are, you know, obviously the Rockets had their attention because they had beaten them twice in Houston uh, within a 12-day span. So that's when you need to see him really take over the game. Let's do it early. You know, so, again, that's I think that's going to be the big thing to watch over the last, you know, obviously they want to try and win games. Uh, And I've seen a lot of stuff about, well, they need to go trade for this guy or trade for that guy. No, they don't need to do that because they need to get answers on the guys that they have on the roster now. Um, Obviously, you want to try and win as many games as you can right now, but you need to you need to make sure you know what you have because you have some big decisions coming up with these guys. So um, one of those decisions is with Jalen Green. And is he a guy who you are going to give a quarter of a billion dollar extension to in six months or so? Um, that's one of the things that they are going to have to decide at some point, and they've got 66 more games to try and figure that out. Yeah, it, it, it's a hell of a question, man. 66 more games. We don't we don't make the decisions at all, and certainly the decision doesn't get made 16 games into this season. But right now, it feels like a role player. Like I, like I think if if we were to preemptively make the decision. It would be hard. I would be hard pressed to imagine someone calling him anything more than a high, 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 high level role player, like a like an extremely important and good vital piece, but a piece nonetheless. I can't disagree with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, so let's switch over to something that's a little bit more positive because I've wanted to talk about this and we just haven't been on together to to do it, uh, given the break and everything. But Jabari Smith Jr. And tonight, what like tonight wasn't great. You know, this this Wednesday night game, this loss against the the Nuggets wasn't great for anybody. Um, I wouldn't say that anybody had like a great game per se, but Jabari over the last let's call it six or seven games or so has been really good. Now he's somebody, he's somebody who I think I've already and I think it would be wise for Rockets fans to come to accept is a piece like. I think he's going to be more of a piece than a guy, but he could be a really, 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 really important and good piece because of what he can do on both ends of the floor. And I felt like I saw that at times tonight, even though tonight was rough. Uh, it was funny watching DeAndre Jordan uh, bully him down low and uh, kind of just run him over on one play. Um, I think he, I think DeAndre Jordan traveled as well on that play. Uh, but either way, Jabari Smith Jr. over the last few games, he had, let's see, 15 and 7 against uh against the Nuggets. But he's been he's been really good for about for at least a week or two. What do you make of the development of Jabari Smith Jr. and what we're seeing from him? Well, the big thing is just the efficiency. And I'm looking at his shot chart, and I think this is coming into tonight's game. And there's a whole lot of green on this shot chart. I mean, there's a ton of green, and I want to open it up to last year. And, of course, I closed out of the thing that I needed to look at. But he wasn't – let's just be honest. He was not an efficient scorer last year. Um, he was basically very inefficient as a scorer last year. And so to see him score efficiently from really almost every spot on the floor, like we're, yeah. I'm looking at the three-point line, at least from the left corner, you know, he's in the green. Um, the right corner, he's not, he hasn't taken very many corner threes, uh, but he's shooting the three better, uh, especially from up top. And then he's taking advantage, you know, in the other aspect, and I need to look at this really quick just to see what he was last year. 
he's at 71% from the restricted area this year, which is just a huge improvement over last season. Um, and I'm trying to pull this up right now and you might hear some sound on here. So that's my bad. Um, last year he was at 56.8% from the restricted area. So this year he's at 70%. Like that's a huge difference. And I'm, I'm I, and I have the shot chart from this year and I have it from last year. There are two green areas on his shot chart last year. It was from uh, at the uh, the top of the key and the top of the three-point arc. Everything else is either red or basically yellow. There are a lot of green zones right here. And again, the big thing is just the mid-range, I think, has gotten much, much better. Um, and that's a part of his game that I think that he can – like you can't block his shot. You know, he's he, he's got such great size – that he's going to be able to get that shot off anywhere he wants. And I think he's starting to figure that out. And I think they're starting to get him the ball in better places too. You know, he's not necessarily, he's taking a lot of shots from just outside the lane and he's hitting those shots at a really high percentage. Um, and I think that that's going to be an important area for him. You know, that little turnaround that he has just from outside the paint. Like you're not always going to be, you know, he's he's not quite strong enough to where he can get whatever shot he wants at the restricted area, but he doesn't need to. You know, if you can shoot the ball as well as he can, you can settle for those shots that are just outside the paint and you can make them at a high level. And that's still a good shot. So seeing him take advantage of that, I, I think has been has been really good. Uh, and his shooting was supposed to be one of his best attributes coming in the draft or coming out of the draft. And he's now starting to put that together. And, and I think part of that is just kind of understanding where he can do damage from. Like he doesn't always have to do damage from the three point line. You know, he can do a lot of damage from inside the arc and that's okay too. So I, I give him credit for recognizing that. Yeah. I'd point out that, you know, this game against Denver, it, like I mentioned, wasn't a great game for anybody, but you know, he still was able to put up, what I say, 15 and seven. And like, it, it was one of his lesser efficient games or less efficient games, you know, as it, you know, again, wasn't a great game for anybody, but, but prior to that, the four games before that, he didn't shoot below 58% and he was 60% or more, 60% or over in the previous three, you know, like I'm looking at these, at these numbers here and it, and it this passes the eye test. Cause he's taking, I mean, he's getting those, mid-range jumpers and he's shooting pretty decent from three as well but seven of 11 against dallas six and nine against denver in the previous game uh against memphis six of ten like he is he's playing within himself but also playing with that aggression and with that confidence that i would like to see jalen green play with just at a larger scale at a higher volume because he would be just by nature of his position, a, a higher volume shooter and, a, you know, a, I guess a higher level player kind of in your mind. But for Jabari Smith's role, I feel like he's playing it to a T. And like, I'm, I'm very interested to see what it does look like when he does get stronger, as he does continue to develop that body and, and be able to kind of pick and dictate his shots a little bit more. But I'm seeing the same thing of just a guy who is just like, calm understand i think he's better defensively you know and he, and that that probably still needs can, can get better but i think it has gotten better from where from what we had seen and what we talked about in previous episodes like i think overall watching his game it's been 
uh, it's been an improvement. It's been an improvement to uh, to a noticeable degree for Jabari Smith. So last year he was 39.6% on shots from the paint, but outside the restricted area. This year he's at 52%. Last year he was 37.7% on mid-range shots. This year he's 47.6. So those are two huge improvements, and that's just going to make you an efficient scorer. And you are seeing him, you have seen him become an efficient scorer. Uh, so far this season, and he's also able to impact the game in other areas, whether it's through rebounding, whether it's through the defense. Uh, so you're starting to see him tap into uh, just some of the talent that he has. Yeah, and I I know early in the season, I was concerned because I was like, look, I, I shouldn't feel better about Jeff Green being, and Jeff Green, to his credit, has been just an excellent addition. So shout out to him. But I shouldn't feel better about Jeff Green being in the game than I do the number three overall pick from last year. You know, like, like, like cool Jeff Green's a veteran and a champion and all of that, but the number three overall pick needs to be on a trajectory where you want him on the court over, over Jeff Green, who's in his late 30s. So we weren't there very, very early on in the season, and we've gotten there rather quickly. I say very early on in the season, like they've played more than 16 games. But you know what I mean? Like the first, I don't know, call it four or five games or whatever it was. But this last little stretch here, I feel like is kind of one of the silver linings of, hey, you've come down from the winning streak a little bit, come down to life. But you're seeing some some positive signs from at least one of your top three picks that you made, you know, uh, and you've got two of them. And, and one of them, like we mentioned, you're still trying to figure out, is he a guy or is he a piece? The other one seems pretty clear that he's a piece, but, you know, you want to see him develop into, you know, a really, really solid piece. And, you know, the growth, I think, is is notable. Uh, let, let's talk about Alperin Shingoon here. Um, that's the, like, I think... Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus unequivocally the best player on this team right now. It continues to be the best player on the team. And kind of piggybacking off of this point that you made about a, a piece versus a guy, the one thing you can say about Alperin Shingoon is that, and, and you mentioned this earlier, every single night, every single night, you know that he is the guy that the other team is worried about, that they're sort of, if you game planning, if you will, around Alperin Shingoon. And so, like, I don't I don't know if that was the case before. And we've known his player profile since he got here. 
but I, I don't think it was to, the, to this degree in terms of how defenses are playing the Rockets. And then on top of that, the dude, and we I think we mentioned this before, the dude just seemed stronger and sturdier. Uh, I, I can remember conversations we've had, you and I, about rim protection and how they don't have it. And I look up, and Alperin Shingoon is out there goaltending uh, Kyrie Irving and getting away with it, or it was either Kyrie or Luka. But he goaltended one of those guys the other night and got away with it. He's out there providing a little bit of rim protection. No, he didn't have an answer for Jokic in this game, but providing a little bit of rim protection here and there in this Denver game. Like, I, I am surprised at the strides that – I'm not as surprised about Jabari Smith Jr. because this is around where I expected him to be, what I what I expected him to be. Shingun is already so much better than I actually thought he was. Like, I – just willing to admit it right now. So much better than I thought he was. What for you has stood out through this little stretch since the last time we talked about him? Well, it's the same stuff. Um, like you said, he is in better shape. Uh, he is stronger. That was something that he worked on uh, over the course of the offseason was to get stronger, especially with his lower half. And that work has paid off. Um, he's in. I think that I've said this multiple times now, but he's trying and he's trying on both ends of the floor, which is a yeah. huge step in the right direction. I mean, he had another chase down block last night. That's what two chase down blocks he's had uh, in 16 games. And that's not something that was ever in his bag the first two years that he was in the NBA. Um, so it, it's amazing how much better somebody can look when they put in the effort. And I think that is probably the biggest thing for him. It's just been the work that he put in during the summer. And it's the fact that he is playing hard consistently now. And it's not just on one end of the floor. And he wants to, he wants to do all the right things. And so um, you are obviously teams are certainly focusing a whole lot more attention on him because he has the ball more than anybody else. And I guess the one other basketball thing that I think has been better is that he's making quicker decisions. Like he's not just holding on to the ball and waiting for something to happen. No, he's like, he'll have the ball and he makes a quick, you know, he'll see an open man and he'll make a quick decision. You know, he's not necessarily always looking for the, the elite behind the back highlight real pass. Like he has, it. those are still there, but sometimes I think that he would pass up the easy play for the spectacular play. And now I think he's starting to take the easy play a whole lot more often, and it's making them a lot more successful. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I, I would also include in that when you talk about making quick decisions, Adam, I would include in that taking threes. Like there was a little stretch there too a few nights ago where I was like, oh, is he starting to do that thing again where he hesitates and won't take the threes like we don't want him to be? But no, this Denver game, like the threes there, Jokic lays off of him, doesn't close, gives, gives a, a lazy closeout or whatever it is. Now nah, I'm shooting that thing, you know, uh, it was the, there was a three to end one of the quarters. Maybe it was the end of the half or a quarter. And he shot it, and I'm like, well, that's obviously with the clock going, you know, running down. He's got to shoot the ball, but but I feel like he would have taken that open three, you know, even if it was a different clock situation. Like 
you get the sense that he is Alperin Shingun is far less less hesitant and much more confident. And I like it, it's it, it it's showing in basically on both ends of the floor, you know, and, and I I think that that's the thing that probably surprises me the most because, you know, as young of a player as he is, and we talk about Jalen Green being a young player, Alperin is just as young. And I'm like, okay, well, he's going to develop offensively, but is he going to become any, any kind of defensive anchor to speak of? <laughs> and, man, I'll be damned. Like, he's actually done that. And to me, you know, I, you mentioned this, peace versus a guy. This seems like a guy. You know, and, and if you would have asked me, and I think I've even we've even done this episode where I kind of shun people for thinking that Alperin Shingun could be a better player than Jalen Green. And and it's not, you know, I don't want to do the thing where I pit the players against each other, but it is an interesting dichotomy and an interesting trajectory where you're like, man, the I just I was expecting this from over here and this from over here, and it, and it kind of flip flop. You know, I think uh. I think I was one of our colleagues made the point on, on, on the radio the other day that, you know, it, it feels like you've gotten much more out of those picks in the teens in Alpern Shingun and Tari Eason than what you would expect versus what you've gotten from those top two picks. And, you know, the book's not written on any of them, but, you know, Alpern Shingun is a, to me, is a hell of a success story considering all the losing that they did, all of the wanting to get the, you know, this top pick, the number one pick here and the, and getting the second and third pick in consecutive years. And, you know, and a top four pick the year after that. And it turns out that the best player on your team is somebody that you traded up to get at 16. It was 16, right? Where Alpern went, traded up to get at 16. You know, it's just, to me, it's just funny how that the NBA could work out that way, but also a credit to Alper and Shingun and really it, it just improving from year to year. I'll add one more thing to that. Cause you brought up the three point shooting. He took six of them against Denver tonight and that matches his a career high. He took six, the last game of his rookie year. So he played however many games last year, he played the first 15 games of this year. And that was the most threes that he had taken in that span. So he is showing more of a willingness to take that shot. And as Ime Yudoka said at the start of the year, like, if that shot is there, take it, because otherwise you're just driving into a crowd, and there's no point in driving into a crowd. So you might as well we, – we think that – we have belief that you can make that shot. This was something that Steven Silas said his rookie year. Like, we think that he can be a 35 to 38% three-point shooter. Like, if you can be a 35 to 38% three-point shooter with everything else that you can do – then that makes you a deadly offensive player. That makes you such, it makes you so much tougher to defend when you're willing to take that shot. And he's at 30% coming into this game. That'll go up a little bit because he was two for six today. Like that shot's getting better and it's only going to get better from here on out. So uh, I give him credit for having the confidence to take that shot and take it a lot. Uh, it's only going to help him. It's only going to give him um, just more passing lanes and more avenues to do things, to do other things. So if they're going to give it to you, take it. He's got the confidence right now to take it. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, all right, we can get out of here on this. Our semi-regular exercise that we do or have done where we talk about what teams in the Western Conference are the Rockets actually better than. Now, you know, I feel like the last time we did this, they were, you know, the maybe the sixth seed or something like that. I don't know. They were kind of, they were in the thick of it. They had been on that winning streak and all of that. Now they have been bumped down to nine, which would be good enough to get them into the play-in, you know, which would be progress, all that, all that's well and good. But I'm thinking here on the teams that I feel like the Rockets are better than, and I know the first time we did that, I didn't, I don't feel like I had more than one or two. Well, can I, can I stop you real quick? Sure. So there are five teams currently, and let's just do it this way. There are five teams that are currently out of the plane. So 11 through 15. So the Rockets yeah. have to remain better than these five teams. I'm going to go through them and you tell me, are the All Rockets right. better than these teams? Are the Rockets are the Rockets better or will they finish the season better off than San Antonio? Yes, better and will finish the season better off. Memphis. Somewhat surprisingly, yes, but yes. Now, remember with Memphis, the Rockets right now are four and a half games up on the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies are still without John Morant for another eight games. So there's a good chance that the Rockets will be five, six games up on the Grizzlies when Morant comes back for that final however many, you know, 82 minus minus 25. So that's a lot of ground that Memphis would have to make. Like I, I think Memphis is probably better than the Rockets are but that's a lot of ground that they would have to make up. And while they'd have a decent amount of time, that's still a lot of ground. All right. Uh, And I I would just say too, though, about Memphis, even without Ja, they have been worse than I thought they would be even without, even without him. So that, that, that is probably why I gave that answer because I'm a little bit surprised by them, but, but yes, with Ja fully low, I shouldn't say fully low, fully healthy with Ja. Yeah. With Ja fully healthy, I think that that's a, that that is probably a better team. But as it stands, I would say no. Portland. No. Rockets are better. Yeah. Yeah. Portland, not better. Rockets are better. Yes. Utah. Rockets are better. And then you have the Clippers or the 11th team. Yeah. and And that would be the one team that I would say that they are not better than of that group. Okay. So. So there you go, and but and, and I would add the team that that is in, uh, and of course that you know this doesn't count, but or doesn't count as much. But I would say that they're not better than the team that they're ahead of, the Warriors. I think the Warriors are cooked, but I also think that they're probably still better than the Rockets. So I, I would add that as a caveat that I think that there are, you know, that there's there's one extra team I put in there that's better than them, but but that's still more than where we started. And listen, if they find if they wind up finishing eleventh, um, that's not the worst. You know, obviously, I think they'd be disappointed in that because they don't get to the play-in. But if they finish the year eleventh, and if they, if it comes down to the last couple of weeks, I think that they'd have to be happy with that because it means that that's that's a pretty significant improvement to go from fifteenth in the West the last three years 
and being out of it by the time you got to Thanksgiving to now all of a sudden you are, you are, you know, you finish in 11th place and, and you force a team like the Clippers or the Warriors or whoever to have to go all 82 with you. So I think that that's a, that's a good step for them. Uh, if they can, if they wind up in 11th, I think that they would probably take that. Uh, maybe not take it, but I think that they would at least feel like they're headed in the right direction. Now, if somebody like Utah or Portland comes up and jumps them, uh, which I don't think, well, at least with Portland, I don't think would happen, but Utah maybe could, then I think that they'd be probably a little disappointed in that. Yeah. Part, part of me does think, though, if, and, and I'm sure they don't view it this way because, you know, as we talked about, losing is not incentivized in any kind of way. There's no benefit to it. But I do think that, like, if this is, if the Shingoon that we've seen 16 games into the season is the Shingoon that they're building off of or that, that is emerging, I should say, that's a win, even if you're the, if, even if you finish 11. If Jalen Green is third quarter against Denver, Jalen Green, more often than not, if I think it was Calvin Murphy again, who I heard on the on the post game mention this, he said this should be the except this should be the rule, not the exception. If the third quarter Jalen Green becomes more of the rule and not the exception, if they get some kind of mix of those two things, and they fin- honestly, if they get a mix of those two things, they hell they shouldn't finish eleventh. Uh, they should be in the play in if those guys are playing up to their potential. So if all of those things fall in place. I feel like, but but let's say they get some poor luck, and for some reason they do fall to eleven. I feel like that's at least something they could they can hang their hat on. If they don't feel like, oh, what are we doing with these guys? Do we feel like we're paying them because we have to? Uh, because you know they're somewhere in between good and great, or do we really feel good about the future here? Do we really feel good about this foundation? So that question gets asked, asked and answered. Then to me. Uh, or and and answered in a way that's satisfactory to them, I feel like that is uh, that is a success in and of itself. But anyway, that is Adam Spillane. I am Brandon Scott. We've got Austin Mendez handling things for us behind the scenes. We're going to try to do this thing again next week. The Rockets have the Lakers on Saturday. They got the Thunder on Wednesday. And we are... You know, adjusting to this odd NBA schedule this year, man. I, I think it's a, I think it's a a, a, a weird adjustment. But you know, uh, it's it's funny when the Rockets are playing well. You know, they had that stretch there. They're playing well. All right, they're gone now. You know, um, and then you know, back to backs, lose them both. So um, I don't know. The energy is a little bit weird, but we'll uh we'll stick with it, man. And we'll be back next week. Appreciate you guys for checking us out. Make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure you review and rate and tell your friends.